Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's get into Luke chapter uh, 19. We're going to um, get close to wrapping up Luke chapter 19 this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles. Oh, that's right. We are still waiting on the order. So <laughs> it'll be on the screen for you, but we're getting more Bibles. We're thrilled that you guys are grabbing those Bibles and taking them home. Um, if you have your own Bible, please go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. Here's what I want to uh, help you understand. If you're just diving into this book called Luke, this gospel account where Luke is writing and basically accounting for us the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And um, if you're non- unfamiliar with Christianity or the Bible, basically there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is one, they all write from cool vantage points and uh, eyewitness accounts. But um, what he's really doing is showing us as he's a vis- physician by trade, we've been seeing a lot of healings and a lot of miracles that Jesus is doing because that's familiar to Luke. And he wants to testify to the authority of Jesus and the power of God that is in Jesus. But he also wants you to see the life and teachings of Jesus and be transformed by these things. And so um, what he'll see Jesus consistently do throughout his ministry is he's going to consistently lay before us what is known as the kingdom of God, okay? And so uh, the kingdom of God in its broadest sense is that um, there is a kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, it is coming presently. It's also coming eternally where all things will be made new. Darkness will forever be pushed back. The curse will be lifted. We will be with God, not separated from God. We will work yet no toil. We will be eating yet not hungry. It will be amazing amazing, amazing to rule and reign with God in the new heavens and new earth. But until then, there's this kingdom coming where he's actually bringing what's known as reconciliation with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so um, as he reveals this understanding and this idea of the kingdom of God throughout his ministry and throughout his gospel, he kind of shows you different aspects. Um, Well, this morning, I think he's going to show us an aspect that uh, maybe some of us aren't too familiar with or maybe haven't really been taught, and it has to do with the the realness, the seriousness of eternal rewards. Um, Now, I know so many of us, well, not so many of us, but some of us are gonna, you know, in in some of these parts, rail out legalism. I'm just gonna say it's godliness. I'm gonna say wrestle with Jesus who's saying it, okay? So we always wanna look at what Jesus says about these things, but here's what's awesome. He's gonna show you, because some of us have bought this belief that, um, which we constantly herald and constantly love, which is that Jesus came and pays our debt that we owed for our sin, right? Because of the nature that was wrong, that was intrinsically in us, where we rebel against God, belittle God's name, do not want him as the authority over our life. We want to be our own God and rule and reign over our own life. And so Jesus comes to rectify that, to reconcile us back. He pays that debt. He dies the death. He lives a perfectly obedient life. He rises, validating all of that. And then we think that means, well, now we just coast through, uh, you know, kind of earth, you know, kind of enjoying the salvation we have. And our life doesn't really matter. Our life doesn't really count. It's all about just believing this great, glorious gospel, but not doing anything for the kingdom, not investing our lives and not realizing that one day you will be held accountable for the way that you lived. Many of us say, well, no, I've got Jesus. Well, yes, we plead the blood of Jesus every single day that we live and walk and breathe for salvation. So yes, Jesus judged you on behalf of what Christ did in the salvation sense, but all of us will give an account for how we live and how we stewarded our lives and all that he gave us. That's a reality. So just like we saw back in Luke that there was some uh, harsher punishments actually in hell, there's actually greater rewards in heaven. And so here's what we're going to see in this parable that Jesus is going to lay out as he's teaching. And I continue to tell you, rabbis in this day, they used to walk and teach. So it was very common for discourses to be given as they would walk. So they're heading towards Jerusalem. There's crowds following Jesus. The disciples are with Jesus. And they're, they're walking and he's teaching and he's saying things. He's healing people. It's, it's incredible. And the parable he's about to roll out is interesting and it's unique because this is the only parable that part of it is based upon an actual historical event. 
And so he's going to roll out this parable where there's basically a king who goes to a far place to receive his inheritance, receive his kingship, and when he comes back, he gives an account for those who he left things to do, investments with. Um, and, and here's what, what the people who are listening to this, here's what they're thinking of. Herod the Great, 4 BC, he dies and his kingdom's divided. So he wants to leave his divided kingdom to three kings, Herod Philip, Herod Antipas, and Herod Archelaus. Well, Herod Archelaus, he goes to, to, Rome, to Rome because Rome's the one who actually approves that these people can actually rule over these lands and make sure they're okay. As he goes to ba- basically make sure that his kingship is certain and his kingship is approved, the Jews send 50 delegates to go and basically protest protest and say he shouldn't be king, right? Nothing we know of today, right? If you look at Facebook and turn on the news. So, so you've got 50 protesters going, he shouldn't be king. I don't want to come under his rule and reign. I don't want anything having to do with him. And so as they're doing this, Rome still says, hey, you can still rule and reign over these people in this place. And so anyone hearing this parable is going to remember this historical circumstance. Now, it's going to diverge in the middle, which we're going to see. Let's start out in verse 11. Jesus is going to speak about the kingdom of God by giving a parable. A parable is just a short story to illustrate or teach a theological truth or concept. So that's what Jesus is doing. Verse 11, and they heard these things, and he proceeded to tell them a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately... He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten ten minas, and he said to them, engage in business until I come. Okay, so remember, they're headed towards Jerusalem. They're headed towards uh, where Jesus will ultimately die and and ransom a people to himself through dying the debt for sin and, and paying it as our Savior in our place. And he tells this particular parable because the disciples think, man, as soon as Jesus gets to Jerusalem, there's gonna be a coronation. There's gonna be an appointment as king, not a killing, right? All of this new heavens, new earth is gonna be ushered in as soon as he gets to Jerusalem. They have, remember we talked about last week, the, the, the theological understanding of the return of Jesus wasn't really in their bank account because they thought that Jesus was going to accomplish it all right when he got to Jerusalem, even though Jesus repeatedly says, guys, I'm going to get killed. Guys, I'm going to die. And they're constantly like, yeah, no, we hear you, Jesus, but we know what's really going to happen. He's like, no, I'm God, right? I, I know all things. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for sin. And so Jesus continually shows this. And Jesus is providing in this parable this illustration because they're totally misled on this understanding of the future new heavens and new earth and the present kingdom of God. Um, They misunderstand reconciliation with God in the sense of the cross of Christ and combine that with the return of Jesus at the second coming. So they don't really fully understand these things, and so Jesus gives this parable of a king who goes away to receive a kingship and will later return to assume his rule and reign, and Jesus is illustrating what he will ultimately do, right? That that we live in this already not yet phase. So here, through this parable, he's showing here, what he's saying is, hey, in a week, I'm gonna die on a cross, I'm gonna be a sacrifice for sin. I'm gonna defeat Satan, sin, hell, death, and wrath of God towards all those who will turn to me in repentance of faith, right? And then I'm gonna rise again. I'm gonna gift the Holy Spirit, but then I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and I'll eventually return. But as I ascend to the right hand of the Father and before I return, there's this season of opportunity you have where you get to invest your life for the things of the kingdom of God and that king. 
So, so he's basically showing that citizens of the kingdom of God have this period of time where before the king returns at the second coming, that's us, by the way, as Christians, we have an obligation, we have a duty to go and be all that he's asked us to do and be. And so here, this is all where we find ourselves in human history, what Jesus is talking about right in this text, that Jesus has come, he did atone from sin, he did rise from the dead, he did gift his spirit, he did ascend to the Father, and he's coming back. So we all live in this already not yet where we're awaiting the return, yet he's gonna return and say, hey, what'd you do with what I gave you? What'd you do with the mina that I gave you? Your family, your career, your job, your opportunities, your, your neighbors, your home, your, how did you use all those things for kingdom investment? How did you use all those things for spiritual stewardship, spiritual profit? That's basically what Jesus is laying before us. And so during this already not yet season, we look as citizens to faithfully serve and invest for the cause of this king. Now, Jesus tells this parable about a king who, before leaving, gives 10 servants a charge. He says, hey, here's, here's uh, this minas, and it's basically three months' salary, three months' wages. He goes, hey, I'm going to give this to you. When I come back, I want to see what you did with it. I want to see how you stewarded it. I want to see the profit you made from it. So he says, engage in business. Engage well, right? Think wisely as a steward, as an investor. And so he does this, and they're to be citizens of this kingdom and witnesses among this earth. And look at what happens in verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Notice that Jesus says, but his citizens hated him. Okay, here's why this is huge. Here's why this is very important to understand. Um, citizens hating Jesus, he's talking about the citizens that were not believers in Jesus Christ as we would understand this parable. He's talking about all people, the citizens. Here's why this is amazing. Jesus is revealing that everyone in this story, the faithful servant you'll read about, the unfaithful servant, and the citizens that hated him are all his. Not in the saving sense, but the general sense. He owns everyone. Right? So we are fundamentally owned by God because he fundamentally created all of us in his image. Right? So, so here's what that says. Whether Christian or non-Christian, all you have is given to you from God for God. Now the Christian either uses all that he has for God, for the glory of God, experiences depths of worship, depths of joy, fullness of life, or you rail against that and say, well, I don't want what God gave me for God. I want to use what God gave me for me, and you're a terrible God. You make a mess of your life. You don't know why, and I'm saying you took clubs that were meant for golf to beat your dog. Right? We don't use the things right. We don't, we don't understand the reasons and ways that God has given us all that he's given us for his glory. So amazing, he says the citizens of the king's kingdom hated him. God still owns them. And they can rail and hate God, but he still owns them. What that means is whether you are agnostic, atheist, universalist, indifferent, Buddhist, Muslim, you're owned by creator God revealed in the scriptures. He owns you by defect of creating you. And you can either enter into relationship with him through the precious blood of his son Jesus, or you can consistently and aggressively go against God's good design. But he's revealing here in this parable, I think, a profound truth, which is revealing that by creation, he owns all of us. So no one's off the hook in this. No one can say, well, I'm not a citizen of that king. Well, I don't really want to come under his, well, he owns you. 
And so here, let's look. So the king returns from receiving his kingdom and citizens would know, listen, slaves would know, everyone at this time would know when a king returns from getting his kingship, you're held accountable. Everyone knows that. Okay, so everybody hearing this parable totally understands the reality that, hey, when that king gets back, whether I hate him, whether I'm indifferent, whether I'm unfaithful, whether I'm faithful, he's gonna ask me, hey, what'd you do with what I gave you? And so it's this idea that God's holding accountable his servants for how they steward and use what God gives them in regards to spiritual profit. So our bodies, our jobs, our careers, our wallets, our homes, where we live, are all from God, for God. There is deep, profound meaning in everything we do. That's our mina. That's what he's given us spiritually as citizens of the kingdom. And so that's all used ultimately so the name and renown of Christ might increase, might go further, might shine brighter. So according to this text in Jesus, when we pass from this life or, li- or when he returns, if we're still alive, right, he's gonna look at all of us who are his and go, uh, what'd you do with my mina? Not yours, mine. What did you do with the life that I gave you? See, a lot of us, you will see in one of these servants say, man, God, you can't take that from me. Well, you didn't gain it. He gave it to you. It's all his, right? We talked about this in stewardship a lot with a dishonest manager that we have to shift our thinking in stewardship, not from, hey, what can I hold on to? What can I let God have to? Hey, he owns it all. How much does he want to let me keep? We start being generous givers. Well, look at, here's what happens. This is about living your Christian life as investment, taking spiritual opportunity, your spiritual gifts, your everything, your spiritual privileges, everything the Lord puts into your life, into your spiritual bank, into your family, the spouse he gave you, the kids he laid before you, the job he's put you in, and said, hey, how are you gonna maximize that for the glory of Christ and shining his glory? So here's, we're gonna see in the parable, verse 16, how each person responds and see where God might work in our hearts. Verse 16, the first came back, the first servant saying, hey, Lord, you're mean has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful with a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. The second servant comes back saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, are you, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. He's not agreeing there. He's asking a question. Why then did you not put money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Okay, so the king returns. And here's where it diverges, right, from historical, you know, just kind of account and circumstance to a real good king. So you have noble birth of this king in the beginning text, which is Jesus Christ. He was of noble birth, right? He was of birth of the father who created heavens and earth. That's as noble as you can get. So, so here is Jesus now showing and emulating, hey, this is me. I'm giving you a perspective of the kingdom of God as I'm about to leave in a few weeks, right? After he ascends, he appears to uh, more than a couple hundred for 40 days, bearing witness to his resurrection resurrection, then he ascends. So he's saying, hey, that time's coming in a couple weeks, and when I leave, this is what's going to happen. And so here's what you see in this, in this parable, right? He's going to ask each servant, gauge how well they invested. The first servant, um, he took one mina, invested it, and it multiplied to 10. And I love this guy's humility. He doesn't go, hey, hey, king, hey, look at what I did. Right? He, he calls him Lord. He calls him master. There's meekness there. There's humility there. There's, hey, hey, look at what I was able to accomplish, right? And he says, well done. Here, you can rule over these 10 cities. You did a great job. 
way to invest well, way to steward well. The king congratulates him and says, since you were faithful with what I gave you while I was gone, rule over these 10 cities. Now, um, briefly, now commentators are all over the map as to whether this is actually realized and whether we're gonna actually rule over cities and places. Um, some believe it's during the millennium. Some believe it's in the new heavens, new earth, fully created. So uh, we can agree to disagree there. But, but here's what I always wanna do. I always wanna try and rewire and unteach you things that you've been taught, okay, that I don't believe are helpful and good. So here's what a lot of us have grown up thinking. We believe that eternal glory, that heaven is us sitting in a chair, playing a harp, staring at angels for trillions of years. Okay, that, that's, that's not eternal glory. That's not the future heavens and new earth. According to the scriptures, all places you can look at, there is a literal, real, physical new heavens and new earth where you will work and will not toil, where you will eat and feast and never be hungry, where you will be with God, where there will be cities, where there will be culture, where there will be laughing and playing and dancing and eating and feasting, that we will be celebrating, that we will be enjoying, that we will be on a literal place that will, I believe, supersede the future guard, the, the past garden into a future garden that's glory and magnificence and beauty goes way beyond it. Can you imagine that? Yes, there will be cities. Yes, we will work. Yes, we will enjoy all those things, not with sin involved where all oppression, all injustice will be pushed back, done away with for good and will reign with God and it will be exactly as your human heart today desires it to be and even better for the Christian. That, that's, that's what's coming. That's profound. So understand, there's an element to this where he might say, yeah, you rule over those 10 cities. I'm giving you authority over those 10 cities in the future kingdom. And then he says to the second servant, he doesn't do as well as the first, but he's still faithful. He goes, hey, look at my mean. I, I, I multiplied it to five. And he says, well done. You rule over these five cities. Notice it wasn't even the amount, it was that he was faithful. Like the king's not going, oh man, you did five less than that guy. Oh, you were faithful too. Good, you can rule over these five cities. He's pleased with the faithfulness of both. He gives rulership to both and it doesn't seem to bother the king a lot about the amount. Then you have what's known as the other servant. Let me tell you, in the Bible, it's never gonna be known as the other servant or the other guy. Right, so, so here's, you know, oh, the first guy comes in, yeah, the second man, oh, then there's the other one, right? So here's the other servant, and he comes in, and he comes into the king's courts basically belligerent to the king going, you're a thief. You, you took all that I had, all that I rightfully own. And Jesus is gonna straight out either just call him a liar so you don't understand the character of the king. So here, as he says this, as this other servant comes in, he goes, I knew you were gonna to try to take from me what wasn't yours. And the king's going, it was mine to begin with. <laughs> it, it was all mine anyways. What do you mean? You didn't deposit anything that wasn't already mine? Well, you didn't, you didn't reap anything that, that I wasn't the one who would sow that. I mean, he's asking him questions. So he goes, hey, let me, let me judge you on your own words. Let me use this, this understanding. If you really thought I was a harsh king, if you really thought I was gonna come just to condemn you and beat you over the head, if you knew this day was unavoidable, then why wouldn't you have even invested it in a bank? I mean, minimally, if you knew this was coming, if you knew the unavoidable was coming, you couldn't avoid it, then why are we standing here having this conversation? You see how silly this is. He's just calling him out. He's calling him out on his lies, and he goes, either you don't know me as king or you're lying to cover up your laziness. 
You're lying to cover up your lack of investment. And here's what's profound. The king and Jesus is showing that God cannot take anything from you and he cannot give anything to you that is not already totally, rightfully his. Many of us are like this man. God, don't take from me what's mine. And God's going, your life is mine. Your breath is mine. Your body's mine. Your house is mine. Your car is mine. Your wallet's mine. Your career you're in, that's mine. The kids that I gave you, they're mine. The spouse that I gave you on loan, that's mine. And so as he kind of rolls this out, um, it's amazing. I love it. Um, This servant has no love for Jesus, no love for God. Many commentators equate this man, this servant, the other servant to Judas. Right, so Judas is someone who, who basically attaches himself to Jesus, experiences things of Jesus, knows things about Jesus, but at the end of the day was in it for something else. Was in it to get something from him, did not see his life as God's given by God for God. He goes, no, I want to be my own authority. I want to do what I want. I want to make my own investments. I want to basically sell out the, the, the savior of the world for my own profit. And so here he's showing that, man, this is, this is profound. This is amazing. And so here's the question that I think a lot of us need to be asking is, um, because I think many, so many fill the churches today where there is this superficial association so that you can somehow earn something from it. So my question is, why are you here? <laughs> like, 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 why are you even associated with the church? Now, I'm not talking about the seeker, right? I'm, praise God. If you're here, you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're learning these things. Praise the Lord that you are here to hear about the good news of a great God who's a great king who gives perfect care to all who are under his kingship, right? But for those of us that claim the name of Jesus, pro- profess to be followers of Jesus, I mean, why are you really here? Are you here to invest or are you here to just take? I mean, is, what, what is this? Is this a club where it's kind of based upon how much you give and you get that back and how much you serve, you'll get this back? And are you here seeing, hey, how I'm wired with my gifts, with my loves, how can I benefit and spiritually invest spiritual bank in the kingdom of God? Like how do you, what is the lens by which you see all of this? It's profound. For you are investing spiritually, for you or for others. See, the man's sin was not that he did anything wrong with the money. The sin was he didn't do anything. See, some of us go, well, I can just coast and just cruise through life, and yeah, I'll be a part of the church, and I'll attend this thing and attend this community group, and I might come to this prayer gathering or whatever, but I'll just do those things at the end of the day. I'll cruise, not believe that you actually stand before God and say, hey, how'd you invest your life? What did you do with the meaning that I gave you? Some of us wrongly believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is that you get to be reconciled to God, you get to be given his righteousness, you get to be given inheritance, you get to be given adoption, you get to be given his spirit, which are all true, which are all glorious truths to herald, but none of us really believe that that outside of the justification aspect that he's actually gonna still hold us accountable for what we did with our life. And I'm telling you, Christians, that day is coming. And we see there is harsher punishment for those who do not know Jesus in hell from him forever. And we see there is greater reward for greater faithfulness compared to those who are lazy, indifferent, and did not do anything with what God gave them. This is really a profound, profound text. Those who stand before Jesus and say, you know, I didn't really do anything with the life you entrusted to me. 
but thanks for it. Jesus is providing the disciples here um, different types of judgment, but also different types of rewards at his second coming. That's what Jesus is basically doing, this aspect of the kingdom of God. So with the first two, there's differing degrees of rewards in the kingdom of God due to differing degrees of faithfulness. Those who faithfully, humbly, fruitfully invested in all that God gave them for his kingdom receive greater rewards than the ones who are self, selfish, lazy, irresponsible, wasteful. Um, if you want to study this, we don't have time to unpack it. Paul calls this the Bema judgment, judgment seat of Christ. You can look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6, 2 Peter 1. It's throughout the New Testament. This isn't something that Jesus is making up. This is something the scriptures will back up. So it's amazing that he is laying this before us, that there's coming a glorious future reward for the faithful when Jesus will pour out lavishly on us more than we ever imagined. This goes to 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can possibly compare or comprehend what God has for those who love him. Now, yes, is it now? Absolutely. It's right now. We get fullness of life now with Jesus, but we also get fullness of life in eternity with Jesus and in differing ways and differing types. So let's get on the ground with this just for a minute. Um, if this means that we view everything in our life as an opportunity for spiritual investment, um, this is what this means. Let me just give you a few. Um, this means, as I always say, your neighbors are placed around you to invest in spiritually. That's Mina. Um, the career you're in, God has placed you there by his providential hand as Mina for you to steward for spiritual investment. And, and let me help you out, husbands and wives. Um, your spouse is Mina. How you steward your spouse. I know that God has called me in the scriptures to steward Kristen in a way that will call her a fruitful vine where I will want to seek her gifts, look to her interests, love her as Christ loves the church so she might flourish in the ways that God has designed and made her. And vice versa. Right? I see that God, according to Colossians 3 and other places, he's given me Jackson, right, our son, so I can steward him and spiritually invest in his life. Right? Teaching and imparting to him the glories of God. Right? Teaching him scripture, hopefully shaping his worldview through the ways that we parent, the ways that we love, the ways that we forgive. I'm actually imparting spiritual profit to Jackson. I realize I cannot save him. I realize I cannot change him. But God is going to hold me accountable for the ways that I actually deal with the mean of it as Jackson. Um, this could be a number of things. This could also be older men and older women. The Bible in Titus 2 will tell you and command you and encourage you, hey, that you would impart the things you know to younger men and younger women. So if some of your mina, as you grow in godliness, grow in age, is also you look down the ladder at those who are coming up in the faith and go, how can I impart what God has taught me to impart spiritual profit to them? Um, another mina is this church. Here, I, I put you in this church. How are you going to serve? How are you going to assist? How are you going to give the ways that God made you for the advancement of the kingdom? Now listen, some of you guys in your heart are raging at this going, you legalists. No, I'm, this is godliness. <laughs> this is, and, and, and I will always say, go against Jesus who's saying this. I'm not talking about you being declared righteous at the judgment seat based upon what Christ has done. I'm saying he's going to judge you not on salvation. That was judged in Christ. He's not going to judge you on heaven and hell. He's going to judge you based upon how did you use and give and live your life for the glory of my name. 
Now guys, here's what is so awesome about this. Your life matters. I, mean, you, I, I hope this is all kind of circulating into you understanding that your life counts, that it's not wasteful, that it's not just, wow, I get this great glorious gospel that I receive and I cherish and I hold on to and I just kind of cruise through life until I finally see him and I, he finally returns. I got to just bear through all this. No, it matters. Like you're storing up for yourself eternal treasure in the way that you live and steward your life now. That is profound. That is life-giving. That man, when you walk out these doors and walk into your home and walk into your job, man, it matters. It matters how you invest. Now listen, let me, let me encourage some of you because some of you are either new to the faith or new being a husband or wife or uh, just kind of figuring these things out. I'm not saying, right, as husband and wife, you imparting them, you stewarding them, you get the Heidelberg Catechism, have her memorize it, recite Romans all the way through and then do a Bible study in 1 Corinthians every week, okay? That, that's nonsense, okay? I say, just be faithful, like Jesus is saying. Like start out small. It might be holding her hand at night, praying for three minutes every night, and you've never done that. It might be for the first time in your life, some of you husbands texting her a verse that you read that encouraged you. For your children, listen. It's the same thing. I'm not saying you sit them down, put them face and fighter versus the app on the iPad, and make sure they know all 17 verses and go to private school only to only hear the truth of God so they might grow up to know the things of God. No, I'm saying you tenderly, graciously walk alongside them as you go to the park, as you go to the playground, as you leave for work, as you're home with them, and you constantly and consistently just sow gospel seeds into, see, this is an opportunity for us to forgive like Jesus. Or do you see our neighbor across the street? Let's do this, or let's do this, or... There's a man that lives across the street from us, and, and my wife is all the winner for this one. Just uh, He's a guy who can't really do much, so we look for ways to go, bring him meals, and share with him things. And she's always saying to Jackson, who's watching and witnessing why we're doing it, what would Jesus think of this? What's the motivation? It's just little things. How are we looking at our careers? Are you just constantly whining about the career you want to change into and get to? Or are you looking at the career God's already given you and said, hey, this is your mina right now? Like, invest in this. Like, you're accruing for yourself spiritual investment right now. I mean, you're not guaranteed a career 10 years from now, and you're definitely not guaranteed life 10 years from now. So how are you using those things? Relationships he's put you in. How are you stewarding those relationships? Leadership he's put you in. How are you using that leadership? To abuse people for your own glory and good or for the good of Jesus and his kingdom? These are really good, tough questions. But friends, Christians are judged. And the reason I think this is so beautiful and so important is I hear so many people say all the time with this appeal to the gospel, which listen, if you've been coming for any length of time, you know, if there's one thing we love to talk about, it's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ alone saves us, Christ alone ransoms us, Christ alone is our righteousness for eternity, for salvation, for our debt, to appease the wrath of God. But I will say, this is awesome and needed to hear because so many people will say, God can't judge me because I'm a Christian. No, God can and he will. And we want him to hear him say, well done, servant. Yes, I'm not judging you according to heaven and hell if you trust in Jesus. But I'm judging you based upon what was your spiritual profit that you invested. What did you do with the mina that I gave you? Did you waste it? Were you lazy? Now, Jesus is going to summarize all this. I love this, verse 24. 
And he said to those who stood by, see, now he turns to everybody listening. He's going, man, everyone's probably wondering what in the world's happening right now. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. Thank you, Captain Obvious. They're just always stating the obvious. And I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, what, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. <laughs> so in summary, the king goes, okay, I gave you three months' salary. I said, hey, steward it, engage in good business, use it well, use it wisely. And he goes, you didn't put anything in the bank to get minimal interest. You did nothing, no investment, no stewardship. Not only that, you're blaming me for your lack of responsibility. See, I find a lot that, that a lot of the reasons that we um, have, I think, a misunderstanding of even our stewardship and what God has done, and we accuse God for things and blame God for things that are really ours to be blamed on, is our view of God gets small. And so when you have a really, really small view of God, you start saying really silly things. So we start saying things, well, if God, you're so good, if God, you're so kind, why does everybody have AIDS? Why are there people starving? Why are there so much poverty? When we're forgetting that God's gonna judge you and say, no, if you were so loving, why don't you do something about it? Right, I mean, we're not gonna be on the judgment seat. Jesus is he's gonna judge us and say, hey, if you were this, if you were this, why did you not do what I asked you to do, what I imparted to you? And hear me, brothers and sisters in Christ, he's given us the Holy Spirit of God to do it. Like all of us are fully capable in different ways and different types with different degrees of faithfulness. But he has absolutely called us into this. And so he's telling this man, I'm gonna take from you and give it to the guy who had 10. You did nothing with it. You wasted it. You didn't even get minimal interest. You didn't even take it to the bank. If you knew this day was coming, why in the world did you just sit on it, put it in a handkerchief and just wait till I came back? And so everyone there, of course, is going, he's already got 10 times what he made. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? I mean, it's like, why are you giving it to that guy, right? It's not fair. And Jesus is going, it's not fair. It's really wise. He's a good steward. He's investing in spiritual profit. He who faithful with little will be given more. Give it to the one who's using his life for kingdom investment. Now, this is a great, I mean, in anything, whether you are in ministry, in marriage, in work, this is a lesson that's consistent through the Bible and consistent in our lives, especially in any type of leadership. Some of you, you just want to be, I don't know, a lead pastor. You want to be a CEO, and you can't even do base work employee stuff, right? So we want to jump from this all the way to here. And Jesus will consistently say, just be meek, just be humble, just be faithful with little. If you can't prove yourself with little, why would I give you more? Guys, I love this story. I was, I think, 25 years old, called into ministry, and I was cleaning toilets in the church just scrubbing bathrooms in the youth center that was downstairs of the church I was at, fixing things, printing papers. <laughs> Guys, I genuinely don't mean this to sound boastful. I remember thinking, I can't believe I get to do this at a church. I had no plans on speaking, no plans on pastoring, no desires to aspire to any of that stuff. I just, I wanted to genuinely just take what God gave me and just use it. And God, over time, gives more to those who are faithful with little. And that's just the season of life. Be faithful where you are now. Be careful being prideful and hungry for that next thing when you haven't even demonstrated you're faithful where you are in the present. You gotta be really careful. A lot, especially us younger guys and girls, this is a good word. Be faithful with where you are. 
Your work where you are is profoundly important and it's eternal and it's storing up treasure. It's storing up spiritual investment. I love this. It's not about how much you have. It's, it's who you are. Are you faithful or are you not faithful? Let me give us a category to help us a bit because I think this is going to hopefully encourage us um, and help us regardless of where you're at because there's no, there's no like feeling guilty in this. There's, there's only glory in this. So because this is true, every single bit of our life counts. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, a pastor, a painter, an architect, a teacher, it doesn't matter. All of your life and work is holy, sacred work. Every bit. Because here's my concern. is constantly when we hear these things, we go, well, pastors, man, yeah, they're doing ministry. They're doing the real sacred work. No, if you read the Bible, actually, if you're a Christian, every bit of all that we do is sacred, not secular. So I sit down with people all the time who say, well, I got a secular job. I'm like, no, you don't. Are you a Christian? Are you in Christ? You don't, have a, you don't have a secular job. You have a sacred job. That's holy work you're doing. So we have to shift a bit. So Ephesians 2.10 will say, every bit one of us was created in advance for good works as God's workmanship, for good works that he predetermined, right, so that we might walk in those. You're his workmanship. You're doing all of these good works to the glory of God, fueled from the grace of God. And so what's important for us to see is all of our life is sacred work. I hear people a lot also say, well, Jesus' ministry, his true ministry didn't start until he was 30, then he started doing real stuff. And I say, no, all of his life was holy ministry. The way he obeyed his parents, the way he did carpentry, the way he taught in the synagogue. That was all holy work. It didn't all of a sudden shift when he was 30. Every bit of what he did was holy, good kingdom work. Where he was sowing spiritual investment. And so preaching and carpentry, all of those things. Now what does this do? It frees you from believing that where you are is somehow JV compared to varsity. Right? If I was doing this, and it'd be real ministry, real kingdom work. I want to just, I want to shatter that understanding. I constantly want to go against that. Because what that does is give the enemy a foothold to say, hey, just stay lazy. Don't worry about it. Don't do anything right now because you're doing something less par than somebody else. No. In the kingdom of God, in that economy, it's all holy work because he puts you there to do good works in his name, fueled by his grace for his glory. So we also, okay, where I am, where I've been placed, whether you're driving your kid to school, whether you're doing architecture, whether you're a janitor, whether you're a pastor, whether you're painting, whether you're teaching, all of that work is profoundly meaningful. Like, like it's, it's so meaningful. I mean, you are sowing kingdom investment where you are. I cannot shout this more. I mean, I, I know most of my meetings with many of us is just discouraged, downtrodden, the season of life, where we are, and, and Jesus enters that space right now in this parable and says, hold on, eyes up, head fixed, nothing's in vain. Every verse recited, every hand held, every act of love given in my name, every word spoken, that is true to somebody else. Every way you're trying to make disciples, every way you're trying to sow seeds for the kingdom is deeply infinitely viable where he will stand before you and say, hey, why don't you rule over these 10 cities even if you're a janitor or a pastor or a painter or a teacher. We have to see the deep meaning and profound value of our lives. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are and you're his. And if you're his, it's infinitely meaningful. It's infinitely valuable. 
This moves us, guys, to understand that life counts. Isn't that awesome? I'm so glad life matters. And it's not just trudging through a new presidency and, oh, no, what's he going to do? And God's going, man, get your head up. Man, invest for the kingdom. Look at ways that, look at what God's placed before you. Guys, this is what this means. Um, not everyone in this room is going to be a missionary in the sense of being sent and going. Yes, we're all missionaries. Not all of you are going to be pastors. Not all of you are going to be church planters. Not all of you are going to be in places of leadership in a church. So here's why I want to say those things first. Because that's not the best and first thing we need. We need faithful moms, holy dads, honest investors, people that are serious about making disciples in the spheres and neighborhoods and places, Acts 17, 26, where he has put you so God would not be far off because you're there. Man, that's what we need. So that where you are is a profound work for the kingdom of God. We need disciple-making teachers. We need holy, disciplined, character-filled men of integrity who are coaches, who shine the light of Christ, who bleed the good news of Jesus. We need that. You're not less valuable. I would argue as valuable, or if not more, than ministerial and I know there might be pushback there, but it's different ways. None is more holy, it's just different roles. So the ministry he's called you to, we invest in. And then he says this to end. He uses a strong word. But as for these enemies, they will be slaughtered. Here's what just is profound and beautiful within this strong word from Jesus, right? He's talking about those who basically say at the end of the day, not only do I not want to even work for your investment you've given me, not only will I admit that all of my life is yours and my life is given for your glory, but not only do I want to be wasteful, I refuse to be under your rule. I mean, here's what's so beautiful about Jesus, okay? Within the strong word, next week we're going to see he's going to get to the Mount of Olives. He's going to look at these people who he's just said this to, and he's going to weep. He's going to say, how much I wish you knew how good my care was, how good my kingship was, how I wish you would have repented and turned to me and seen how much more life and joy there is in following me, not following the world, following my rulership, not following your own. And he weeps over these people, showing there's infinite justice in, yes, you'll all be slaughtered, and infinite mercy in, I wish you'd come to me. There's still season of opportunity and that's what this whole parable is about, that God will absolutely, in the end, have full justice because he's fully holy and he has full rights. And he can't uphold his justice and his holiness without acting out his justice. And he can't act out his fullness of love without appeasing his justice in himself, which is the only way that he could ever uphold both. And so he says, hey, you've got a season of opportunity. You will either be slaughtered or you can come under my rule that you were already under and submit your life to me. But there's time. He has not returned. There's this season. There's this waiting. Understand, Jesus is not a king who's laughing and jeering at the slaughter of men and women. <laughs> like Ezekiel's very clear. He takes no delight in the punishment of the wicked. So don't, don't hear Jesus saying it like that. What you're seeing here is he's a king that's showing and warning and lovingly calling you to himself, to his kingship that offers perfect care. 
So Jesus basically says, there are citizens and enemies of the kingdom. And he doesn't say this to scare you. He says it to warn you. He says it to love you. He says it to call you to himself. And he says to the citizen who is a kingdom of the kingdom of God who has trusted fully in the weight and worth and work of Jesus Christ, hey, you are going to be judged. You're going to be held accountable for the way that you stewarded the life God gave you, the family God gave you, the career God gave you, the money God gave you. And for those of you who are citizens of the kingdom, but you are not saved, you do not know Jesus, you do not, are not attached to him, you have not repented of sin and turned to him for forgiveness of sin, there's still a season of opportunity where you can come under the good care of this good king. And don't wait. Don't, don't haste the day. I mean, come to him now. Repent now. Don't let him get to the Mount of Olives over your life and just weep over you all the way to your damnation. Man, go to the good shepherd now. I mean, part of the way that he's done this is placing you here to call out and shine his grace to you that he would even place you here this morning to hear the good news and work of his son that then says, hey, your life is then not meaningless. It counts absolutely every bit. You won't be judged on heaven and hell if you trust Jesus. You'll be judged on the ways that you stewarded your life. And that's exciting for us as Christians. Listen, if, there, if there's a heartbeat of the Holy Spirit in any of us, we're finding great joy in this message going, okay, praise the Lord. I'm not trying to aspire to this thing to somehow be made more holy in my work. He's given me holy work right now, so I get to invest it eternally. And I get to hear the king say regardless. You know what I picture sometimes? I was thinking about this this week as I was studying. I literally picture the greatest men of faith, okay, that, that, that we know and love. So just pick out your, your preacher, that guy you read, that Puritan, that whatever you want, okay? You just, you pick that guy out. Just put him in a line. I picture everybody out in the line next to faithful Pastor Wilson, who's in Haiti, who many don't even know of the work he's doing, that's in back countries around people that no one will get the fanfare, doesn't have the American accolade I see faithful women who are praying in their prayer closets every single day for the salvation of souls who are in a wheelchair and can't get out of the room. I picture people who just faithfully go to their job. Even though it's hard, they work faithful, invest. So I think of painters, I think of trash men. They're all standing next to these other men that we would say, man, they're really big men of faith. And Jesus looks at them the same and says, well done. I don't know what that does for you. <laughs> My heart starts beating. Standing next to Charles Spurgeon. Doesn't matter who you are, what you did, or the sermon you gave. Were you faithful? Well done, well done. People will never see on the stage. People will never see preaching in a church. Well done. Sometimes more so than the men preaching on the stage. Probably more often we'll see that. I don't know eternity. I'm not omniscient. But I do know there are faithful men and women of the kingdom giving themselves day in and day out, knowing they are sowing up for themselves eternal investment. And this is why the scriptures will say, guys, it, it attributes this word of God to that of a mirror, right? What does a mirror do? It reveals things, right? It exposes things. So right now as the word is given, as the word lays itself bare in your heart, it reveals things. So let's close with just what is it revealing? It exposes who we really are and who God really is. It exposes what we really think about where we are at in life. It exposes what we really believe about God and his character. It exposes what we really believe about the value of our worth and our work. So I want to encourage some of us. I want to give us a time just together as a people to take some stock and maybe repent where we need to repent. Some of you, it's simply revealing what's at stake 
if you're not a Christian, what's at stake if you don't repent? And if you are a Christian, what's at stake if you just carelessly live your life? What would Jesus say to you and your family if he returned tomorrow and you stood before him and he said, okay, here's all the mina I've given you. How did you invest it? How did you steward it? Let me encourage you in this moment. If you've been a bad steward, you're in good company and you can be fruitful now. (laughs) The best time to be faithful is today. If you're an enemy of God, you can become a friend of God today. The day is today. It's not tomorrow. It's trust in his purchasing work today for forgiveness of sin, for imputed given righteousness that you cannot earn through works and merit and appeasement. Come under the kingship of Jesus Christ, the good loving care of a good king with a perfect kingdom who one day will rule and reign and we will rule and reign with him and share in the inheritance of God. And he might say to some of us, you've been so faithful, well done, good servant. Rule over these 10 cities. Rule over these five cities. Some of us need to drive our minds to being faithful with little so that God might give us more. Take a minute and examine your heart. What's the meaning that God has given you? None of us leave feeling beat up because God gives us the grace and imparts the grace to be able to do these things. It's fueled by his Holy Spirit. Just say, God, help me. God, help me to see my life. I mean, we have, we have distractions, we have culture, we have social media, we have enticements, we have sin, we have our flesh, we have the enemy, we have everything vying for time, attention, and focus. God, help us push those things aside. Help us to see clearly what you've laid before us. Help us to see more clearly eternity. Help us to see more clearly the kingdom of God. And God, as we take the supper together, might we be nourished in the benefits of Jesus. Not that he just simply broke his body and shed his blood to reconcile us to God, but to impart us into a life that is deeply meaningful and deeply necessary that has impact on eternity. God, help us where we need help. Help those in this room to repent where they need to repent. Help those to turn to you who need to turn to you in the saving work of your son. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you're a God who warns yet also weeps. God who demonstrates ferocious love by being loving enough to tell us the truth and reveal the future to degrees that we need. Father, help us as a people to be more holy and to see our lives and to see our work as acts of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.